Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Hello there, it's Mary Stone once again on the screen porch. Thanks so much for joining me, and thanks to those that reached back about our last chat. Many adore Canadian geese and snow geese, despite what others think of them, and that warms my heart. There's a bit of an update I wanted to share, and that is that Ken Roberts, my singing buddy, who's a retired airlines pilot, although he rarely talks about it, he filled me in on the plane that he mentioned. It was two whistling swans, not snow geese, that took down the passenger plane in 1962. They are also known as tundra swans, and they look much like snow geese, although they're larger with black bills rather than pink. They both nest in the Arctic tundra and migrate to the United States in winter. So anyway, it was a full house on Friday, and one of the patients loves birds. She had a New Jersey Audubon magazine with a cover photo of a red-headed bird with black and white feathers. One of her favorites, she said. They're about 10 inches long and they're called red-bellied woodpeckers, common in the eastern woodlands and forests, and they come out of the woods and they love to feed on bird feeders, so they're commonly seen. But I just thought it was so odd that this red-headed bird is named red-bellied. I mean, really, why is that? Shouldn't it be a red-headed woodpecker? Anyway, one of the things I shared with her was asking, are you a gardener? Because most bird lovers are. And she had the most beautiful reply. She said, yes, I love birds and dirt. Her beautiful blue eyes smiling under her purple knit cap warmed our hearts. So today's topic is about fascinating fruits of pine trees and other conifers. And we'll talk a little bit about the native rhododendron that I came across over the weekend. And it starts like this. Hello, fellow listeners and readers. We ventured to Blue Mountain Lake over the weekend, part of the Delaware Water Gap Recreational Area. We hadn't visited there since May. You may recall we spoke about the flora and reflections from Blue Mountain Lake in episode 58 you may wish to bounce back to. In the wintertime, evergreens take center stage, and it was fun to notice all the young white pines and hemlocks below their mama trees, along with the spent pine cones and cones below them the fascinating fruits that protect their seeds. Pine cones on pine trees aren't seeds, but merely the vessel or the fruit by which the seeds are protected. Other conifers, such as hemlock, have similar fruit called cones. The tiny seeds are inside the female cones with two seeds in each fertilized scale that spiral around the cone. Male pine cones are smaller, short-lived and soft. They often go unnoticed and are typically on the lower branches in the spring. It's a clever system Mother Nature created. That way, the pollen from the male cones won't fall and pollinate the female cones on the same tree. Instead, the wind will carry the pollen to an adjacent tree. It's miraculous how a tree knows when to open its male and female pine cones at different times so they can pollinate neighboring trees and not themselves, assuring genetic integrity. A pollinated pine seed typically takes two or three years to grow, which is remarkable to me. I had no idea until I was researching this. Then they fall to the ground or fly in the wind. 
and pine cones can stay on a tree for 10 or more years, depending on the species, before they drop to the ground. And when they do, the fertilized seeds are gone. I'm kind of giggling, because do you recall as a kid bringing in pine cones and putting them in your closet? Well, I put them in my closet. Kind of forgetting about them until a bunch of insects hatch from them. Note to self, if you're bringing in decorative pine cones, put them in your oven for, you know, low temperature for 15 minutes or so, just to make sure there's no critters that will hatch. Just saying. Anyway... Another ingenious design of the encasement of woody cones is that they're not palatable to most creatures, but a few, such as squirrels and woodpeckers and crossbill birds, feed on them. Pine coats date back to the dinosaur age, a favorite of the Parasaurolophus dinosaur. Unlike many plants that rely on pollinators, such as bees, butterflies, and ants, to pollinate seeds, conifers primarily depend upon the wind, although water and fire have a role in it. Pine cones can float merrily downstream, and the tiny seeds inside with wings fly in the wind for as far as a mile. Jack pines, also known as scrub pine that grace the viewpoint coined Indian rocks at Blue Mountain Lake, live in north-central and northeastern United States and have serotonous cones, meaning the cones have a thick resin that protects the seeds for years while on the tree and require the heat of a fire to melt the resin and disperse the seeds, a fascinating assurance of survival. Typically dry conditions in late summer and fall trigger cones to ripen. They become entirely brown and open to disperse their seeds. When cones fall to the ground, they are called spent pine cones, those that have done their job, although there could be a few viable seeds within them. We enjoy pine cone seeds in cookies and pesto sauce. Pignoli nuts are expensive due to how long they take to mature and the effort to gather them. Depending on the tree species, seeds can take one to several years to ripen, but they certainly are delicious and worth the wait and the expense. Folks think if you plant a pine cone, you can get a tree, which isn't the case. Conifer seeds are designed to germinate on the surface or with no more than, say, a quarter inch of soil or decaying plant debris. By digging them into the earth, you're prohibiting the opportunity to sprout a baby tree. We cut down two hemlocks, much to my sadness, but a large branch had fallen between the umbrella pine and the house during a nor'eastern, one of the trifecta a few years back. The fallen trees opened an opportunity for baby hemlocks to germinate, and now I have a fistful of bouncing baby hemlocks to transplant once they grow to about a foot. I'll likely keep one or two of them in the garden to replace the mother trees. But don't tell Kurt. <laughs> garden dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com On the way to Blue Mountain Lake, I marveled over the dense groves of native rhododendron on Millbrook Road. I often suggest them to folks as a deer-resistant alternative to the beloved rhododendron hybrids that are sold at nurseries. Rhododendron maximus can grow 20 feet tall, sometimes 30 when they're exceedingly happy, which they are on Millbrook Road and they have the most gorgeous dark green leathery leaves. And come June in this neck of the woods, they bloom a beautiful white, and others bloom pink or light purple. They're not always easy to find in the nursery, but they're becoming more popular, I think, because more are asking for them. The only thing is, outside of this area, I've noticed they aren't always deer resistant. So it's a matter of deer preferences and communities, which is always changing, isn't it? Follow the bouncing ball.
Seeing the gorgeous rhododendron reminds me of the grove I came upon two years ago while taking a road walk with Miss Ellie May, who was declining then. So I took a different route that day and came upon that beautiful grove. I've shared before how I often begin our weekly chats by dictating to you from a morning walk. This time, Jolie was not with me. She was having head shakes, seizures she's had before, but it's been over a year since the last one. It's the second anniversary of her arrival as a rescue from the streets of Biloxi. Walking without Jolie reminded me of when I walked without Ellie. A kind passerby named Kenny asked me where my dog was. I explained the story, and he wished us well. And then a second couple pulled over with their red pickup truck and rolled down their window. They were kind of in a rush, so I didn't ask their names, but I recognized them from town. Their kindness lifted my heart an example of how we can all be of service in small ways. Maybe a lesson, too, to stop and cherish every day with those we love and the difference we can make when recognizing when something or someone is not the same. Stop and ask and extend kindness. Thank you, kind passers-by. So, of course, we took Jolie to the veterinarian, and she confirmed that her idiopathic seizures are common in four of the 13 breeds <laughs> that she apparently is mixed up of, and um, they'll likely disappear as she grows older, so that gave us reassurance that all will be fine. It makes me think of the plaque that Kurt's mom gave us at Christmas, which says, You can't buy love, but you can rescue it. And we can share love like those folks did who took the time to stop and ask me about Jolie. It was so kind. It seems I should circle back and wrap up with a bit more about birds, and that is an idea for a nifty bird feeder that you can make using a pine cone. Just paint it with some peanut butter and use some bird seed, you know, roll it in the bird seed, and hang it on a tree outside. And if you still have your Christmas tree outside, hopefully you left it in a stand, or even if you didn't, you can put the nifty pine cone bird feeder on it and watch the dance and feed the wildlife during winter. They will appreciate it so much. And I appreciate you visiting with me. I so enjoy it each week and look forward to next time. Meanwhile, if you would be so kind, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast so it magically appears in your feed, and share with others so more can join us in learning and growing in the garden of life. It means so much. Have a great day. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.